this is another big thing I wanted to throw in here, and I think it's relevant just to our timeline. Um, you know, my studies have have led me to believe, and that the, the the theosophists talked about something similar, but they they claimed as like I think 1883 was the new dawning of the new age. I believe it's closer to something. It, it's something like 1904. Um, mm, yeah. I think there's a there's a transition period, which is probably more accurate. But I, I do believe that we have this period of, let's say, 100 years or 150 years has, is, is a transition into new uh, linguistic, uh, cultural, uh, maybe philosophic structures for a reality that's being built that will last for maybe another 200 years. So you had, in, in astrology, they call this the Great Ages, right? You have the Age of Pisces, the Christ uh, figure emerges, um, and then you have symbols and you have idea sets that that sort of take us through that two two thousand years of Christ and the resurrection, and and we we could explore what those idea sets have been. But we've entered a new phase, and I I, I pin it to nineteen oh four because of particular astrological alignments. But I do think this is where the Crowleyanity model does come into play, and I think the discovery of Nag Hammadi. Uh, after World War II is a part of this as well, where you, you have this, this move toward the idea that there's something innate in each being, where it, we, we become our, kind of our own God, or you know, every man and woman is a star, right? The divine spark inside of us is what is going to transcend the, the, the prison. Dick is a part of this, black mm-hmm. iron prison. And yeah, exactly. Hard. So, so to me, this is what is, is really, really interesting about our current moment, about the ritual, I want to try to incorporate some of these themes, but that we do have this new vision of of our ontology that is like we are godlike. We have this shining radiance inside of us, and the Buddhists, you know, the precious human birth. I think they knew they knew this. The idea that the human being is kind of the most precious uh, thing you can become in the in the whole of of the universe. All of the different realms, godly and hell. Um, point to this being the most important um, type of, of being that you can be. Now, that's a little <laughs> maybe prideful, but I think there's something setting aside, comparing to other types of entities you could incarnate as. The the notion is that, you, that we have a lot of power inside of us, and I think that's the real message there. We are very beautiful beings. We're godlike. We have extreme power. You know, and the synchronicity movement proves that. You know, you, you have someone write an article and then boom it's manifesting in reality like yeah yeah, we're so powerful that we we can change reality you know just for talking about synchronicity this is um kind of what i was saying before but we've sort of got to this point we i'm talking us in this synchronicity community have got to that point most of us have gone through that that deep dive into conspiracy and reached this point where um yeah, uh, there's this archonic control, and and you see it, you see them using synchronicities to to control, but then when we reflect back on our own lives, and we see the same synchronicities in our own lives using the same symbols, etc., and that's what's allowed us to take this this leap beyond it. You know, this this link into uh, synchromysticism or whatever you, you want to call it. You know, it's a uh, um, but I, I agree with you about uh, 1904 also. It's like uh, um, this is something I, I wrote about in my blog pretty early on when I was starting it about this, this uh, 
this 108 year period from 1904 where Crowley um, announced the start of the Aeon of Horus and then this 108 years to 2012 right and then there's this there's a cycle of this Rosicrucian cycle of 108 years and it and it represents a degree in a degree and a half basically in uh, in in astrology going from one sign to another um, um, so it's like I'd be really interested to to hear what you're talking about uh, the uh, the sort of astrological aspects in in 1904. Um, Can I? Uh, I just want to say I've been Zenora literally last night. I was falling asleep or trying to sleep, and I was thinking about you and this line of thinking, particularly uh, your writing on the 108 year cycle, and particularly the idea of the Rosicrucians. Um, and, and, you know, sort of like, um, okay, this comes out of a, a line of, and I don't, I'm, I don't mean to hijack the, the, the narrative here. I just want to say, almost like I, I want you guys to zero in on this because this is where my head is at. And for a million reasons, and I'll just name two. One being uh, people realizing, hey, where did all the fucking CEOs, you know, I, everyone got an email. You get an email from every corporation. It's like, what we're doing in the coronavirus crisis but like they're not actually doing anything, right? Um, so all these corporations that suddenly are MIA, all the CEOs who backed off, all the billionaires who like the only one who's really got his face in the news is um, Bill Gates, and he's like, "Hey, I want to use this to rule the world." Uh, you know, where's where's any where's Elon Musk? I saw he made some ventilators and donated some ventilators, but like, where is he being like, "Holy shit, here's a billion dollars for this." whatever right uh so noticing all these people sort of stepping back noticing that whole thing and i was thinking in my mind like essentially where are where are the the rosicrucians where are they in this and i i want to be very careful that i'm not conflating these because i think andrew cuomo as a as a former new yorker andrew cuomo can go fuck himself i know too well that he's can go fuck himself really hard is not a hero but uh in this line of thinking i spent days last week i know it exists i can find proof that it exists i just can't find the photo of it there was a uh i think i think i narrowed it down to february 2010 there was a issue of the uh, village voice in new york city and it showed andrew cuomo it's this like artistic rendering obviously but it's andrew cuomo dressed up as a knight templar in the crusades and it's this whole image <laughs> that god i want to find this image so bad because seeing him being taking center stage in this is really interesting with that context um and with that i want to sort of pass the floor back to you guys i just want to say like i would appreciate yeah if we do spend some time honing in on that aspect of it cool um, well, I can I can certainly go in and try to summarize as succinctly as I can the, my rationale and my justification. It's actually a pretty long rabbit hole. I have two articles on it. Um, um, and, so, you, SJ, yeah. can you hold back just for a second? Yeah, I'll hold I just back. Gotta get a, okay. Yeah, I'll hold back. Yeah, for sure. And I, I can just jump in. I'm gonna I'm looking for that Knights Templar Cuomo image, Alan. I just put it into Google to see if there's something we can come. Oh. Up with. You know, man, just to give you a, a fair warning, like I said, I have spent hours uh, using, it's like I found a scan, I found like a website, some archive, 
that that issue is missing and it's not like a, like ooh suspiciously missing like that whole year i think like they probably you know we're archiving older issues um i have found i can find on i've gone through the village voices archives um and they don't have covers saved in their archives they do have the articles and i can find the i remember the, the like even when I found the article, it's like, oh, yes, this was the title that was on it. I think it's, um, oh, oh, I mean, whatever, I'll, I'll, I could I could find it. But just to say, I've, I've really, I've exhausted my knowledge of how to do this without, like, going to a library or something. Okay, okay. So maybe it was Mandela effect, affected? No, 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 because like I said, I can find the article. So um, you just they just they don't have a public archive of covers from that year. So like uh, I found a a thing on their website that was like our seven best covers from this year, and it's like why don't you just fucking do all twelve? It's you have twelve issues. Why do you have seven covers archived of like look at the best we did this year? Like it's twelve. Just show them to me. Okay. <laughs> well, I right? See. You know. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's, uh, I feel very confident that I confirmed this, as I said, by finding the article, I can still find all the resources for it. I just can't find the image is not saved anywhere. Uh, please, if you want to help in this, in this attempt, I, if, or if anyone listening, uh, I will f- pretty damn sure I narrowed it down to February, 2010, um, village voice. I cannot find the image. Uh, I've I've really I've spent a lot of time looking in every way I could imagine. Sorry. Just okay. To, no, that, that that's cool. No, fair I... warning, so you don't waste your time. <laughs> oh, sweet. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry. I see. I just wanted to make sure that I heard. Um, yeah. What you're saying. So I can send this, and this I, it's actually pretty interesting because Alan, this really relates to the King Kill, some of the rationalizations here. But I had two articles that I wrote, and I'm going to summarize them really succinctly here. But they relate to um, two particular planetary alignments, and one of them is that all seven traditional planets, the seven classical planets, are in the same zodiac sign. All right. Uh, the other alignment is that the seven traditional planets are in a, the sign that they rule. So the a sign of their domicile or the sign opposite a sign that they rule, which is called the sign of their exile or detriment. All right. So if you run, if you put those restrictions into a, a ephemeris search, you'll get only four times in a 10,000 year period. And I'm just going to speak to the latter alignment where the planets align up in their own domiciles or in the sign opposite their domiciles, every planet. Mm-hmm. And one of those is 1903, okay? The time before that, that all planets, and this, and this is in 1903, all of the planets were in their own domicile. And I put the, the chart in the chat. It's in 1903, August. Um, Elliot Ness was born during this alignment, and there's a famous novelist that was born during this alignment. Um, there's a famous astrologer that claims to be born during this alignment. But if you go back to when the last time the planets made this, had this feature, they were all in the sign of their detriment. And this was in February 33 AD. And so this was the big breakthrough. When I saw that, I was like, oh my God. So all the planets mm-hmm. were debilitated and it was the same uh, spring that the crucifixion uh, is, was supposed to have happened. 
Mm. You know, and so that's what keyed me. And before that, you get an alignment in, I think, 21 BC. That's right around the time of Gil- Gilgamesh. That's around the time of um, there was a famous there's a lot of some things that you can point to there. But basically the epic of Gilgamesh, you have a famous famine that they said destroyed all the societies before that around this time. And that what emerged was like this kind of broken down society that then we get like the Plato and or sorry, Homer. The Homeric myths kind of are part of that 2,000-year vision, that 2,000-year narrative. Then you have the 33 AD moment. Then you have Christ. And then now you have the 1903 moment, which is a, the wow. year before Crowley. Yeah, Crowleyanity comes sort of soon after that. He channels the Book of the Law. Um, and now we're into the New Age, right? The computers, uh, electricity is invented right around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a star. Uh, we have this electricity, this new technology, um, this kind of Aquarian age of communication and like tele- te- telepathy. Henry Miller was famous for saying, look, writing novelists are over. It's going to be telepathy and soon, you know, tele- telepathic poets. Um, so and then you have another alignment in, I think, 37 A.D. that will be coming again. So, I, I, you know, so because of these markers that are stark and clear and they align with these transitions, uh, that's that's the biggest reason why I'm convinced. The other reason, and just to summarize this other alignment, all of the planets arriving in the same sign has happens 37 times in the same 10,000-year searchable frame that we've got. Um, it happens, the closest together that it, ha- that it has happened is in the 20th century. 1962, February, the seven traditional planets aligned in Aquarius. Mm-hmm. And in 2000, March, or May, excuse me, the seven traditional planets aligned in Taurus. What happened in 1960, the year after 1962? What happened the year after the year 2000? Mm. Right, JFK, 9-11. And it happened in the year before Caesar was killed, the same alignment. It happened the year before some people cite that King Arthur was killed. Uh, all planets aligned in the same sign. So my theory on that is that there's a King Gil component to that, to that alignment. Um, and, you know, I do think that there's something about the 20th century, beginning with the seven planets in their own domicile in 1903, having the 62 alignment and then the 2000 alignment. That century is what I, because of these astrological you know, alignments, I'm pegging that to be the century of transition into the new age. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we're here. And um, so that's the astrological justification. And, and, and again, we can explore like what are the new symbols, what are the new you know languages, you know linguistics and idea sets that this age will include, and that's a whole deeper conversation. But I think it's something to do with this basic Crowley. I Crowley summarized it: every man and woman is a star, right? Mm, that's great. So it, that really um, meshes up with uh, uh, Yeats. I don't know if you've read A Vision by Yeats. Um, and he looks at these these massive cycles. He's looking at more cycles of the psyche, um, but it perfectly matches up with what uh, these alignments you're talking about, like the, uh, the the sort of Christian era starting at that time, and then and then two thousand years a transition into two thousand years at least, um, starting starting a new era in in. Um, Yeats's terminology, he calls it the primary tincture and then the antithetical tincture. Um, and he, his, 
his idea was that we're we're arriving to a point of of the uh, antithetical tincture coming in. Um, and his his famous uh, his famous poem about the second coming was all about that. Um, the rough the rough beach slouching towards uh, Bethlehem to be born. <laughs> Arising from the desert, um, it's sort of this conjoined kind of Christ antichrist figure that that Jung was also talking about. Like that, that uh, eventually at the end of Pisces, um, when that aeon finished, these two symbols would come again together. Uh, that's the best. The best uh, source to look at that is is his book Aeon, which is incredible. Um, He's even talking about the the symbol of Pisces, where you have uh, two fish, um, one looking at in different directions, and he he interprets that psychologically as um, two thousand years. Yeah, one fish um, from about the time of Christ to about uh, one thousand A.D., the time of one fish, Christ proper, and then the second fish representing the Antichrist. And at the end of that period, um, which aligns with what you're saying in the 20th century and now, is goes into the next sign Aquarius when the, those, those two come together, the two fish come together into one symbol. And, and that makes a, an entire a whole symbol, which for Jung represents complete integration and, and individuation of, of our own psyche, um, sort of integration of the shadow at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clear that um, just the reach, even our voices now, I mean, I'm speaking into my microphone, this will get published. Now, you know, it's not going to go to, it's not going to be on the nightly news tomorrow night in America or something like this, but this is an artifact of this conversation that people, we don't even know who can be listening to this. I mean, now or even thousands of years in the future. <laughs> yeah, that's a scary you know? <laughs> 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 It's an amazing time to be alive. And that's my vision for this ritual, actually. I, I really think that we're going to have a powerful moment that we can then bottle. And that's why I'm excited about what Wally's going to do. Um, that the, the legs for that thing, we have no idea what the legs are going to be for that puppy. you know. And, and that's why I want to at least get something written down that I can have a written document that's a remnant for some of my portion. you know, Because this is how things live on you know, through the technology. Um, you know, and, and as the written word dies away, maybe I'm holding on to that a little too much, it gives way to these electronic pulses, you know, and, and that's why the age of Aquarius, it is an air sign, and air, it has to do with what things that travel through air, thoughts, you know, the ancient texts, or Agrippa says that it's air signifies communication because uh, words travel through air once they're spoken, they, mm -hmm. they, they go through the air into someone else's ear. And so I think that you can extrapolate fully there. I mean, the age of electricity and this interconnectivity is very much an air. It embodies that air element. Mm -hmm. um, and we're entering into this airy age. And it's just a beautiful, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. And the sync, you know, think about the sync community, how dependent it's been on the technology and being able to capture video and play things slowly and, you know, see headlines as they emerge. I mean, the connectivity component. I think this is maybe what McKenna was saying, that things just get more and more connected and complex. 
you know, until there's this kind of birth, uh, this birthing, you know, and I don't know if you've heard about people saying that this is the 2012 moment. You know, some people are, are now saying that the McKenna's moment at the end of time might be now um, as we've entered this crisis. Rather yeah. Than 2012. yeah. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I think it is interesting that this is the, the destabilized period where everything's off the table in terms of the former structures. It's feeling more and more like that. That seems yeah, the, to be now, you know. Yeah, the other thing I was looking into, I was, I was writing about this too, is that uh, in, in Moonchild by Crowley, if you've read that book, uh, they're, they're discussing the idea of, of what happens if a higher dimension in, enters into our dimension, like like a, if a four-dimensional object, for example, enters into a three-dimensional object, what would it be like, you know? Um, and so Crowley's using this example that comes from, um, it, it comes from this book uh, called Flatland, actually, if you trace it back. But the example that he gives is, imagine, uh, imagine the surface of a, uh, of a, of a dish or something, a dish or a bucket or something filled with water, and then the surface of that water, um, which is a two-dimensional space basically at the surface, right? Um, so if if you imagine that there's beings living, two-dimensional beings living on the surface of the water, what would it be like if you, um, in Crowley's example, if you put a cone into into that space, a three-dimensional cone, and you just sort of slowly dropped it into the water? Um, so at first, it would just be the tip of the cone, and hardly anyone would notice it. Anybody living in that two-dimensional space, you, wouldn't, you, you might notice some, some ripples or whatever, but you wouldn't really notice much at all. Um, and so slowly, as this object moves through this surface area, and then it takes up more and more space, then it becomes more and more apparent to more and more people. Um, so it seems like... Uh, if you continue on with that sort of idea of the the hundred and eight year cycle, it's like maybe that's what happened in in two thousand and twelve is that the tip of this object McKenna calls it the hyperdimensional object right it didn't hit all at once, which is what McKenna maybe was saying, but the tip of it hit, and that's when it sort of entered into this reality and then slowly and basically pretty fast it's only been twelve uh, eight years um but it's now becoming more and more and more apparent to more and more people, right? Um. So I, I've been thinking about this idea a lot um, very recently. And um, I, just to say I love Flatland. If, no, if you haven't read it, it's, uh, it's well worthwhile. Um, and uh, so he, I've been thinking about this in the terms of in Flatland, they use the example of, as you mentioned, the cone entering this flat, or or, or really any. So actually, in in, flat, in the book Flatland, they do a sphere. The sphere mm-hmm. enters into the two dimensional space, and it just seems to get wider and wider and wider, and then it would taper back down to nothingness, right? And it would essentially just disappear. So they would they would see something that grew and then shrank, you know, appeared, tiny, grew wide shrinks tiny and then disappears Mm -hmm. um but i've been thinking we are in three-dimensional space 
So a four-dimensional object entering our perception, what might that be like? I know, and that's that, the thing. And I'm realizing that that has to factor in not so much um, uh, this. So the, the, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like the metaphor of the cone entering in 2012 is appropriate in one sense, but inappropriate in the sense that the fourth dimension would then incorporate um, a, a bigger span of time. And therefore, we might see a piece of it in April of 2011. We might see a piece of it in um, January of 2020. We might see a piece of it in 1903. We might see a piece. Do you get what I'm saying? Like when we see these like really weird connections between these specific dates and time and we're like, wow, this this is like a mirror of this from every symbolic sort of structuring point of view. Uh, what what is the relevance there? I'm beginning to just sort of work into my questioning there of if I were to be spotting a four dimensional object, would I not see a piece of it in fucking Nebraska of this year and a piece of it in Hong Kong in this year? Would that not be how an object entering our three dimensional space might be perceived? Yeah, totally. I think. It, I think that's exactly right because, uh, like, what is the fourth dimension? And, and that there's no clear answer to that. Like the the other dimensions, it's easier to uh, to to put them into your headspace. Like you can imagine, like a uh, like a like a dot, and then and then a line arising from the dot, and then a and then a uh, and then a uh, a right angle coming up to make a plane, and then another right angle. Um, to make a cube but then it's like what is the right angle to a cube it's just it's it's impossible to even think about like there's models to sort of approach that but that it's it sort of goes out against it goes against our uh, our ability probably because we're three-dimensional beings to even comprehend what's going on but the one of the ideas is that the fourth dimension is incorporates time in some way right and so in that case then uh we might think of it in terms of linear time being three-dimensional beings going along this sort of linear timeline. But from a fourth-dimensional point of view, um, it would all be simultaneous. And so I would think you're exactly right. Like a, a, a hyper-dimensional object coming into this this space, um, we might... Uh, we might think that it's coming in at 2012 because we're based on linear time, but actually when we get to that point, we're going to realize that it's been happening simultaneously throughout history, you know, like uh, um, because the nature of this hyperdimensional object is that um, it goes it goes beyond our, our sense of linear time. Uh, and this this sort of brings us back to uh, Philip K. Dick, you know, his, his own viewpoint of... Uh, of the incarnation and how that, uh, uh, like his vision that we were still living in apostolic time, you know, that the, uh, the time of Christ is still here. You're still, we're still on this cycle and we haven't got out of that time because that incarnation is still occurring, you know, and, and it's just a matter of, of realizing that and waking up to it. Um, I can go back to Mark Leclerc, like his idea of, there being a loop, you know, and we're sort of stuck on this loop, maybe forever, you know. But uh, I think I think uh, 
Philip K. Dick had an, an idea that we uh, we could get out of that, like the incarnation itself would allows us to get out of that. Um, does it? Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about like um, the ritual again, just going back to the ritual. I think one of the most most um, promising slash um, evocative potentials of this ritual is that I don't see it really as us being 13 on the call. Um, there's that level of the ritual. There's the other folks who are going to send in their one hour video. So they'll be a part of the ritual. But, you know, we're a vocal... one minute, one minute. We're not. Oh, sorry. No, one's, okay. no one's send an hour. Okay. Pardon me. I'm sorry. <laughs> one minute. One minute. Um, <laughs> But we're, 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 this is how archetypes work and how energies work. You know, you can align with and call, call them into a, a moment such that they're, and they're alive, they're present, they're real. You know, maybe in a kind of a shimmering form or a different kind of manifestation, but some kernel of that truth is present and will be present at, uh, during the ritual, you know, and... Um, and so for astrologically, right, we're calling upon these saying archetypes. I probably will read Thomas Taylor in the actual free period because I want that energy. I want all the baggage that comes with Taylor. All mm -hmm. of the great minds that have used it, that poem are going to be present with us in the ritual. Mm -hmm. All of the thinkers and writers, you know, uh, and in my piece that I'm working on, I'm, there will be references to all kinds of things that by evoking them through our language, they're present. And we've brought we've continued to bring them into reality. You know, um, and it goes back to so there's a real promise there, an invitation, like, who do we want to be sitting at this table? And we can call them in, you know, we can bring them forth by just mentioning their names, you know, you know, um, the other thing is that Plato in his Timaeus, he says that when God made this reality, he made the planets simultaneously mm -hmm. and that the planets are actually part of the inherent structure of the clock that is this thing we call time that is this manifestation you know this of reality and so i think you know aligning the ritual and not even the ritual but just in general working with those planetary spheres it's like we're tapping into the lattice work of this reality and 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 i think that is part of the the fourth dimension that's coming is that we're going to have a greater integration with that lattice work those who want to um and, you know, concomitant with the rise of electricity, um, there has been this, all, uh, this other rise of like resurrecting old texts, you know, in the 20th century, you have yes. all kinds of Greek, Greco-Roman and Arabic texts are being released and translated and resurrected. And so there is a kind of flattening of time where it's like we can actually have a, there's some people that say, well, I've, I've, I've done this astrological magical ritual that hasn't been done for probably 700 years because we just got the book, you know? And so there is this connecting space and time in a way that is, has never been possible. And, and that's what we're gonna get to do, you know, during the ritual, but we'll keep being able to do this, especially with things like holograms. You know, we could have John Coltrane playing Ohm if we were able to holographically project him into the ritual, you know? Uh, and if we were all in the same space, you know? Um, so this is certainly part of it, that like the consciousness of beings that came before and even like the consciousness of reality itself, there's a merging that's happening, you know.
Um, and it's super profound. Like, I'm, I mean, shit. I mean, it's like, this we, is a... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, no. Um, I was just saying also... Uh, well, one thing I wanted to say, um, uh, just to add to what you're saying, is uh, about these these texts coming in online, basically. Like these... Uh, these old texts that uh, suddenly become revealed to us, like um, in Tibetan Buddhism, there's a there's a term for that. The term is actually, I, I think it's called terma or something, um, where these ancient texts were hidden intentionally for a period of time, hundreds of years or thousands of years, and meant to be discovered at a certain point, and then the wisdom of of those texts would be revealed, but. Uh, but Dick thought that too, like Philip K. Dick, he thought that, uh, especially the Nag Hammadi uh, Gnostic writings, which were discovered in 1945, but only translated, um, well, they were, they were discovered in 45 and only compiled and translated, etc., up until the, the 70s. And then the, the wider public had access to it. And Dick thought that was a kind of... Uh, manifestation like a real physical manifestation of what he called the the homoplasmate you know like this this actual being uh, this this conscious being that would come into existence at that time and so it was um it was a uh it sort of meant to happen at that at that particular time you know and the, the nagamati is only one example then there's the dead sea scrolls and then there's all these other um, texts like you're saying from all over the place who are just coming out right now and if you think back that's that's what uh, that's what started the renaissance too it was, it was the translation of all the hermetic writings and, and, and Plato's writings that, that caused the renaissance um, we were talking before about uh, Thomas Taylor in the early romantic period what he, his writings kind of started English romanticism in a, in a way um, so it's a similar thing, but also this idea that we talked about before about uh, uh, changing the timeline, like altering the timeline, like having a sense that we sort of blew it in our past, you know. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking last year, um, where I, where I kind of blew it. I I could have conducted a ritual and I didn't. Um, and Regarding the sense your timeline theories, Noor, I wanted. There was a thought that I had too. Well, course, just, to just, just a sec, Doug. Like just to just to continue this, and then uh, and then I'd, I'd love to hear what you said. Um, but uh, the idea, I when we when we put out that idea, it was like uh, um, some people are saying, yeah, this is kind of solipsistic, like thinking that that you're sort of in in. Uh, that you in particular are sort of controlling the reality and the things that you did to fuck up things caused this whole traumatic thing to happen, this pandemic to happen, or the response to the so-called pandemic. But uh, if we if we examine it in terms of what Alan is saying, like we're, it's the meeting of this hyperdimensional object and this hyperdimensional object is concerns the nature of time itself, then it, it no longer is solipsistic. It, it's something else, you know? It's, it's more of, I think, in this Buddhist sense that uh, 
all is mind and we're at the center of the mind but also we're not the center you know it's uh, every everybody every everything is the center um so that's that's all i wanted to say so doug do you sorry i cut you off oh i cut you off okay <laughs> <laughs> so the interesting thought that came to me so i was reminded how in the newest season three of Twin Peaks, Dale Cooper is trying, or he ends up altering the timeline. He goes back into the past, and he takes Laura Palmer out of the moment, and so none of that happens, you know. So it like negates season one and two, and so it's like, you know, what do you make of that whole thing? And I really like it was such a giant thing, and it was episodic, and it was fun. But I really haven't revisited it because it seems like it's such a big work to try and... I just don't know about David Lynch sometimes. Sometimes I think um, either it it has meaning and depth, but it's not intentional. He's just really intuitive sometimes. And then other times I think uh, it's just a bunch of stuff that looks cool. <laughs> But John Thorne was saying that in the moment when Cooper is um, about to pull Laura out or some, you know, when he goes back in time to alter the timeline, his face is glowing red, which leads him to believe that he's still in the red room. So that all of this, the whole struggle of season three is still like in the Bardo. It's in the underworld. It's not like it's still an internal struggle. And so that that is an interesting reading i don't know what we do with that in terms of everything that we've been talking about but um the point that i would the uh, the, the thought that i've been having has to do with um uh so, the flip Je jeffrey kripal's book where he's trying to bring the uh the humanities and that like the it's the you know the stem with the arts together because he feels like uh we're stuck with half a worldview because we have um you know such a scientific materialistic point of view that you know the whole like animistic earthy artistic like we're just all of that you know we're only seeing half of the picture and so I'm wondering, like, in terms of correction, definitely we're thinking about economy, but I'm wondering if maybe there isn't, like, a consciousness correction, too, maybe. But it's strange because we're less less embodied if we're trapped in our house, but maybe we're more embodied because, uh, I don't know, you know? Like, maybe there's, is there any integration there? What's going on? With a lockdown. I think we're more aware of like the, I know for me, the food that I'm eating. Because you don't know if you're going to go to the grocery store or when. And so there's a more of a deliberate feeling around everything food related. And I'm cooking every meal. So, I mean, that's certainly a, a level of embodiment and focus on the physical parts of life. Do you feel like you have a more spiritual awareness of the food, though? Yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing for me is, is spiritual just because it's the noticing that's required. Like, 
like there's a consciousness that's brought into the process that wasn't present before. And so that to me is kind of a automatically become spiritual. You know, like I have to, I mean, it's like every meal I'm touching it and preparing it. And before it's just most of the meals I think we're eating now or a lot of them. And, and, and so it's like the whole process of from buying to, to preparing, to cooking, to storing after, to eat, you know, to the eating, I'm just seeing there's like this chain of interconnectivity and how the meal, the moment that the food is entering my mouth, that's just one part of this massive chain that I hadn't really been aware of before um, to this to this extent. And that's not even considering the chain of how the food got to the grocery store, you know, just the chain of my procuring, preparing, eating, cleaning the kitchen, you know. In so. terms of being, because so like so much of what we do as a people is like some form of buying all the time, like we're shopping or buying or doing. I wonder by having less options, if if we're starting to, it's more being and less doing also. I feel I don't. That. Yeah. What about you, Alan? Um, mixed, mixed feelings. Um, because I do think, uh, you know, there's there are questions of I of have we seen what a breakdown of food supply looks like yet? So I'm I'm fully aware of that this may continue to change. Um, but to say like uh, my partner has twice this week gone out and foraged um, some greens for us, um, you know, just like here's dandelions, here's um, you know, different edible clovers and things like that to like, like we ran out of salad greens and it's like, exactly. It's like, well, we're really holding off on trying to go back to a grocery store. So, um, and also like realizing what is a, what is a grocery store purchase? How long does that last now? You know, what I, what I thought I was, so it's funny. I, I guess I want to say I came back, I was in New York on March 7th I think I left New York and I immediately came home and said let's go to the supermarket right now and get some things while it's we we are not experiencing it this in Virginia yet but looking at New York I think we're going to experience this let's stock up now before it's a problem here and it was just a week later that everything was shut down um, well, okay, so no, I, sh I shouldn't say it. a week later that my my restaurant was shut down. So you worked on Friday the thirteenth, and then or wait, you worked Saturday the fourteenth. Saturday the fourteenth was my last day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, exactly. So I I got I my, I got essentially fired or laid. Actually, I, got, I guess technically got laid off on the Ides of March. Um, you know, and basically it was like, hey, I'm shutting the restaurant down. Not like, not like, fuck you, Alan, but man, can you imagine they've been open this whole time and no one told me <laughs> he just didn't know how to fire me. Are you, are you able to get any sort of compensation like, uh, unemployment insurance? Is that possible? Is that a yeah, possibility? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, you know, unemployment is a thing that you pay into, mm -hmm. right? So, um, I do qualify for that. Uh, it is, it's not enough, like even I, let's see, 
if all I did was pay my rent, it would be enough to cover that. If I had no other bills. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's not enough money. We literally, I spent a lot of this week figuring out the wording of writing a letter to my property managers talking like, hey, this is like we just strategizing of what would we feel comfortable paying? Would they work with us? All these sorts of things. And after spending all this time thinking about how I wanted to write it and writing it out, I ended up speaking to a guy I know. So actually one of the owners, the restaurant I worked for had two owners. And one guy like owns the building the restaurant is in. It's his building. It's already bought. And he owns other properties where he does like rentals. And he told me that he was doing a thing of like doing a sort of rent uh, forbearance and these different ideas. That basically he told his tenants, hey, don't pay me for two months, but I'm going to extend your leases by two months. So I'm still guaranteed the same income. Just like these two months don't count, right? But whatever, however, if we're closed for three months or whatever it is, then we tack three months onto the thing. And he was going to try and do it that way. So using his original idea, I wrote up this proposition to my property managers. But then I spoke to him just before I sent it off. And he's like, don't even do that. Ask them if they have a plan. Before you come to them with your suggested plan, ask them if they have a plan. So we literally wrote a message saying, hey, do you guys have any you know, uh, any, anything in place, any infrastructure in place of how you're handling rents during this COVID situation. And they wrote back and said, here's a form that you can fill out. And, um, they said, ultimately they're property managers and the decision is going to come from the property owner, but they are, they did have some sort of forms. And now we are, we've sent in those forms and we're waiting to hear what that's going to be. It seems like they're they're going to try and argue for a rent reduction, um, which I think makes sense if you are the property owner. You want some income coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know whether I agree with that or not is to say, hey, they can either take the chance of getting nothing in this time, or they can say, all right, we understand everyone has a hardship. We agree to some reduced rate, and maybe that's a mutually beneficial situation and I'm still waiting to see what it's going to be. So I, today is the fifth of the month. Technically I should be getting a charged a late fee. I haven't paid my rent yet. We'll see what happens. I like we discussed it. My partner and I and said, well, since we're actively in the middle of a conversation with them, we just sent them these forms and we're waiting to hear what they want us to do. If they turn around and charge me a late fee tomorrow, uh, I'll be pretty pissed. Um, but we'll, you know, whatever, we'll deal with it at, at all as it comes. Are you, are you in contact at all with other tenants of the same landlord? Or no, I mean i i have I have no way of knowing how to do that. And this is a I'm yeah. renting. It's it's a private house. It's not like I'm in an apartment building where I can talk to the other tenants. Okay, I don't know what. And it's this isn't a. There are so around Richmond. There are a few property management groups that are like own a shit ton of properties. Like there are there's like three names that I see all over town the one that i'm renting from i i think they're honestly more commercial real estate um i don't see their name uh, anywhere else uh and when i tried to do some research in my, originally i sh- got shown a lot of like um corporate real estate uh holdings so i don't i don't really know what to say with that mm. um they've been horrible to me in the year that i've lived here um 
but I've got my fingers crossed that they're not. This is a situation again where it's like, yes, you can be a dick in this situation, but maybe you maybe you just have a policy in place that's like, well, this is how we're handling it, not as dicks, <laughs> but this is the policy, you know. Um, I am prepared if they turn around and say, well, we've thought about it, and fuck you, no, you still have to pay us the full rent. Um, that's when I would then send them the letter that I wrote with my proposition, which is basically, well, you can ask for that now, but you're not going to get it. This is what I'm going to propose instead. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, it. and that is reality. That's, yeah, that's reality. Exactly. Right. So, but you're not alone. And precise. And, um, and I don't know how. I mean, like, you don't have, if if everyone's acting in their own self-interest and there's no money flowing anywhere, it just, I don't, I don't know what happens. I don't. Right. I mean, one of the things I say in this letter is it is literally illegal for me to go to work and do my job right now. <laughs> it's also illegal for me to leave this property right now. So... You can charge me to be in this property, but it's illegal for me to leave it, to go uh, to either just to leave of my own volition or to go out and get you more money. So we're going to have to come up with a solution. That's, that's sort of my starting position in the letter. This is a catch-2020. Oh, I like that. I like that. Love that. <laughs> Yeah, that that makes sense. Like the uh, landlord should get should get arrested for evicting people for violating quarantine. Well, right? I think what SJ said is that that's what I've heard here. So they did pass laws. Almost every state in the United States that I'm aware of has passed a thing that is a moratorium on, uh, or, or if that's the right word, basically a pause on evictions. You, it is illegal for you to evict your tenants at this point, but. There's nowhere in the law that says it is illegal to start the eviction process. So what that means is, um, and actually I think you were giving this example before, is like literally if I don't pay my rent this month or next month and they say, fuck you, we're evicting you, they can start that paperwork. And then in four months when I'm finally, you know, they've lifted this, uh, this law or whatever, yes, I'm allowed to leave my house again. But the moment that happens, I'm probably getting hit with an eviction notice right so it's like hey go back to work oh by the way you're getting kicked out um those things would come hand in hand and, and i want to just backtrack i just said four months as a number i pulled out of my ass but i don't want to put that into the universe let's backtrack on that <laughs> <Knock> on <wood. laughs> yeah um although i mean as i said in virginia the law is that um the, the the period that has been stated is that we are in a lockdown until June 10th. So I'm, I have more than two months ahead of me. I literally, you know, uh, as, as of this moment, today is April 5th. It's, I'm looking at another two months and five days. Uh, that's the official timeline. That is amazing because in Idaho, I think we still have April 15th as a date. Right. I mean, it's not... A tenable date, but that's that's what's what's right there right now. Well, there's um, I just saw there was like a um, some big summer concert that's the end of June in Virginia, and they just canceled that. 
And I, I was sort of surprised by that. I'm like, you know, I guess they had to make a decision, but, um, you know, like uh, Doug, you and I talked about like, say, like the whole tree fort thing, and then they're like, all right, we're going to reschedule. Were they rescheduled for like September or something? Yeah, towards the end of September. But then, I mean, that feels safeish, but you know, that's the interesting thing. You know, so like, uh, you know, they're talking about second waves and. Um, yeah, I just don't know. Like either the the virus mutates and becomes less deadly, or uh, somehow you can show that you have antibodies. Like enough of the population has had it, and they have antibodies to be, you know begin living. Oh, haven't in. you heard? Yeah, they're gonna. I mean, there's in uh, someone in Europe uh, was saying. We will lift this only once there's a, a vaccine in place. But then the the word on the vaccine is that it's you know like twelve to eighteen months away. I know that they've got some. They've got a start on that, but the Bill Gates. So quote, you, just sorry, go ahead, Esther. Yeah, just saying. There's a the, the uh, you can watch him on Trevor Noah, and he says, and there's he's kind of the language is important. I think he says. Until, Who's he? You talking about Gates? Gates, yeah, pardon me. Until, Trevor Noah asked him something. And he says, until enough people are vaccinated, large gatherings may not ever, may not return. And it's it's unclear whether he means, and this Gates is not in charge of a, gover- a city or a state, but I mean, that's what he's advocating for is no large gatherings until enough people are vaccinated. I'm not sure what he means, 10, 50, 500 but there's, but that's what you know. You can find these videos of him from like one or two days ago saying that. So it'll be interesting, yeah. I mean, if precisely, yeah. I did hear in Germany there was a thing of uh, Doug, what you're talking about these antibodies, basically say if you can show that you've been exposed to it and your body has built up an immunity, so you're going to test you for these antibodies. If you have that, then you're free to go. Which is interesting, like. It's a purity test, kind of. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's yeah. um, it's a necessary diagnostic too, from from that point of view. You know, it's like you've got to find out how much the virus has spread throughout the population, and how many of the people who 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 have built up a resistance to it. Well, that's um, the interesting thing. So, like, since I'm still out in the working world, a lot of people just assume they've already had it. And I'm like, I don't think so. You know, they were saying, well, you know, think back a couple of weeks ago, I, I was feeling really poor. I'm like, what? Did... I had the cough. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think. But maybe, you know, maybe. Yeah, that's one of the... Uh... That's one of the theories here too that you hear people talking about is that it's already spread across Japan. Um, but again, there's no way of knowing that. Like I, I, I came down with symptoms yeah. that I thought were suspicious too. You know, for just a few days. You know, so. Uh, but there, again, there's no way to to know that unless you had some sort of antibody. That check. was leap day. I remember that. Yeah. Well, that yeah. <laughs> even I don't know that there was even a, a yeah maybe around that time. But there's there's another time also that I felt I even I even felt like I had a, a kind of shortness of breath when I was when I was in bed. You know, 
like not not to the point where I was choking or gasping or anything like that. Just I, I would try to breathe in, and then it would sort of reach a certain limit, and I felt it, I I just felt uncomfortable. It didn't it didn't feel normal. But then I I couldn't tell if that was because I was, I was psyching myself out or anything else, you know, or I had other problems from other things, or it, it like it was just impossible to tell. It was nothing nothing so serious. That's what uh, just to say here, like uh, you know, is it the sniffles or is it the COVID nineteen sniffles? You know, this is kind of one of the conundrums and sort of the mm-hmm. dissonance that we talked. I was talking about last time that I think is makes this really really unique. You know, it's it, it's one of the things about this time that's so fascinating. You know, because you don't know, and I mean, we all have these symptoms every day. I've got some allergies here. I'm you know, I wake up a little congested, and is that tingling thing in my throat? What is that? You know. Um, I just want to interject here too, like even with antibody tests, I think there's a trust that is required, like for people to kind of give themselves over to the to the sci- the you know what is being offered as the science, and that's really interesting to me too. Like there's a fundamental like I trust these tests, and if you don't trust those tests, what does that mean for how like this may play out in a rocky way? For folks, mm-hmm. you know, because if you mm-hmm. tell like a some guy trying to go get food, hey, you don't have the antibodies, and he says, you know, I'm fine, and you know, no, I'm going to go work, and and you know, does he get arrested? You know, how does this um, play out w- against the backdrop of like a legal regime to enforce it? That's that's quite interesting to me too, or a policy regime by individual businesses, you know, and I, and I think what's coming is an app. I saw that Google now has officially released its location data, but my prediction is that there will be apps developed quite quickly that will give people the confidence, whether that's through an antibody test, that, and this is what Gates is saying, a digital certificate, once you've got the tests, whether it's the antibody test or the vaccine, that your certificate then will give you that privilege. And so, you know, it is almost like a paper, papers please scenario you know, and I'm not even, maybe it's necessary. I don't know. I, I hate to even consider that, but I'm willing yeah. to, you know, a papers, please scenario for global travel. And it scares me because I've been traveling and I don't want to go back to America. You know, I've, I've depended on open borders with my passport, you know, basically constraint free travel. And if I'm not willing to get a digital certificate, you know, I'm, I'm just, it might impact me, you know, directly, you know? And so, um, I don't think they're renewing passports at this time. Yeah, yeah they said they're, they're not going to issue. They're not even. They're not even. They're issuing. Not issuing new ones or renewing old ones, except in life or death situations. I just in September renewed in China, so I've got ten fresh years and a fresh passport with blank pages. You know, so I feel lucky about that. I feel lucky about that. Um, well, that's what I mean. There's there's like practical questions. So let's let's say your passport expired. If they're not issuing new ones, the old one has to still be valid, right? So like, just from like a practical standpoint. But yeah, he's there. Oh, I know. Oh, sorry. I, I, I don't, I'm not conflating SJ's situation. I'm more like, I'm saying there's going, there are going to be people, SJ, who, who are not, who are not in sure. a situation where their passport was recently renewed. I'm saying if you're someone whose passport just expired and you try and go with somewhere with it, 
or use it as identification, I think there's going to be, I mean, just practically speaking, there are going to be exceptions made of like, well, we get it. We're going to take this expired passport. Yeah. And, and I saw in China, they already said your visa, no matter if it's expired or not, you get two months. So we'll extend that two months. So I think they'll have to come up with some of these uh, exceptions and try to fit this in. Uh, you know, Sorry, they've done that here, too. They've, uh, they've expanded visas for foreigners visiting Japan. I think this is part of what's interesting. This gives me hope. This is actually what gives me a lot of hope, this, this, this point here and points like it, is that the problems of staying locked down are just too great and they compound on themselves. And I think that policymakers realize that. And I think that I, I think I just think there's going to be a collective. I feel this, you know, and I'm not talking about the fall or a second wave or something like that. But for the immediate term, I'm just kind of beginning to, to feel po more, a little bit more positive because because you have to open up, basically. There's going to be too many problems. Um, and I just saw Drudge. Um, uh, Drudge, this is the first time in weeks that Drudge has had, like, when you go to the page, there's positive energy coming back. <laughs> you know, that it's not just been panic, 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 panic. This, now the headline, glimmer of hope in Europe. Italy is now on a phase two. And then they have a headline, Bill Gates is now predicting lower death toll. So I've seen some of these officials are hedging their bets because I think they know the death tolls are not going to be the gloom and doom that they were originally projecting. Even Dr. Fauci, he had published a paper like four days ago, and in it he says this is just a bad seasonal flu, basically, because he's saying that his logic is that most people have had it. They're not counted in the death uh, proportion numbers, the death percentage numbers. And if we assume that double or triple have had it, this is looking like the death toll is well below 1%. This is Dr. Fauci, you know, the guy that women are having a cream my panties crush on right now on social media. Sorry to get vulgar. Sorry to get vulgar. You know, so I'm beginning to feel a little bit more hopeful. Um, uh, Do you, along the, line. the only thing that uh, I wonder about is that the, the, uh, the doubling rate of deaths for this, it's still at six days exactly. Like, uh, um, I was working that out from before, and it it went to sixteen thousand. Six days later, thirty-two thousand, and right on the dot again, it was like around sixty-four thousand deaths in six days on on uh, April fourth. Um, so, if it continues to do that, um, which is, I don't know, it it seems so unlikely, but I thought that in the last doubling period, I, I thought no way it's going to reach 32, from 32,000 to 64,000 in six days. And it, and it did. It went over that. Um, but if the next doubling period would be at the end of the 10th. Um, and so we'll, we'll see if that continues to happen. But that's a, uh, that's a weird thing. Like if it was sort of engineered, like are, are they collectively engineering all these numbers? Um, are they changing the numbers from different governments or are governments providing numbers that will match up or is it just a natural course of things, which in a way that seems to make the most sense. My sense is that the numbers, so like you're eventually going to run out of people that are dying from pneumonia and the flu to code as coronavirus. 
And so the numbers have to flatten. And even the, and I mean, this is one theory, right? Like the numbers out of Italy, people are looking at it saying that really there's not a, the, the, the deaths are not that much greater than a spike in bad flu and they compare it to previous years. And so my sense is that, I mean, people are dying every day, but, and you can see these stories, like the coding is the key, is the key, is the key linchpin of this whole thing, right? Um, and again, we'll see when the numbers come out. But my, my sense is that, that if Italy's now flattened, to me that says that it's just, I'm, I'm really positive, it's a positive turn. And I'll see here is Norway. So what, what does the numbers then say? Like in a week, how many are going to be dead in America? Well, but, I don't know. I don't know in America, but I, I was looking at the, uh, just at the, uh, the, the global total. Um, so it, it went over 64,000 on the 4th. If it's another six-day doubling, there will be 128,000 on the 10th. And then, uh, and then by the end of the month, um, April 28th, it's over a million. If it continues to double in the same, in the, in the same way. Like, I, I, I just, it just blows, it blew my mind that it, it ended up happening this last time, but it, it, every every doubling is just gonna. I I I just see it as being impossible, but then it happens. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, again, the numbers I've seen are just this is still within the normal range of deaths, and until we start seeing numbers coming out that are like, all right, this is clearly way beyond what what would normally happen. I'm certainly not. Uh, I mean, I'm, I mean, I hope that doesn't happen. God forbid that doesn't happen, right? Well, so that's interesting. If so, the word from the president this week is that the next two weeks are going to be really the hardest two weeks to get through. And so, if if that's the the double that really really hurts to go from you know sixty five thousand to a hundred and 30,000 I mean and then the week after that <laughs> if those are the two hard weeks you know to, to go from 65 to 260,000 or whatever it is yeah yeah if it starts to level off after that oh. yeah um, but the, the immediacy of that many deaths would is going to be Brutal. The only thing is that other countries, are, like if you look at the stats, if you just take the stats as 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 they are, you know, um, and look at the patterns within the stats, um, other countries are now coming coming up the uh, up the line, right? Like uh, especially like India, Pakistan, um, places in uh, South America, uh, like Ecuador, and they're all they're all indicating a, a further incline, like they're they're in 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 that whole language they're, they're farther down the curve than than other countries in in Europe right now so they're about to um the rates are going to increase in those countries as well I, I just um, want to say here I think it's important to remember I mean and I'm maybe probably I think I'm a little bit more skeptical than you guys are um but you know I I do I do think of just like the official narrative but I do think there's just a really like a trust element that the numbers can be trusted and I, I, I don't think they can. And, and I think that what you see is as the tests percolate into the society, uh, you test, you know, millions of people, you're going to have way more cases, right? 
Um, and so I think we're seeing some, some of that is happening here um, as well as the third world get access to tests, as tests get produced that are deliverable, easily provided to billions of people, you're going to have an increase in numbers, you know. And again, I don't mean that in, a, in an insensitive way. I mean, obviously, there's people dying from the, from pneumonia, flu-like symptoms, from, you know, cor these coronavirus symptoms. So, but but I do think it's worth like just saying, well, okay, let's question the statistics. Let's kind of be aware that there can be statistical errors and how the numbers are presented to us. So and not to be, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I just want to say not to be sure. like a downer in this, but to say either of those scenarios are pretty fucked because yeah, I agree, right, that your, your testing is going to show these numbers. But I said to my brother the other day, I was like, well, you know how they cured um, mad cow disease, right? They slaughtered all the cows. <laughs> no. They, uh, they, they just reduced they the number of testing by drastically. Now they test like 1% of the amount of cows, and suddenly you get like 1% the amount of results. Right. Oh, that's what so did. it's gone. It's gone. Right? Yeah, that's exactly what China did. Yeah. Um, so there's there's that, but then the the other side is, let's say they take it seriously. Again, you know, we talked about like um, uh, SJ, where I have sympathy with your point, which is like uh, you said earlier about what are all these different scenarios? Their goal always remains the same, or they're like their actions are really revealing. And you know, what who just said yesterday was like, oh, well, we could use uh, Africa to test our vaccine. In France, yeah. Yeah. France so, doctors. so it's like, just, just to say that idea, that mindset is such that even if you're like well-intentioned for my white Western ass to survive this, you're still thinking in terms of expendable genocides of people. Right. <laughs> like you're, you're. I'm saying like the whole the whole ideology and thinking thought process and this whole thing is so fucked. I uh, yeah. The other thing is that I I, I want to say also that I'm I am deeply skeptical of the numbers both um, from each country. Like I think each country is sort of skewing its numbers in different ways, and then and then the the whole compilation of the numbers. I'm I'm deeply skeptical of of all of that. You know, but. At the same time, I'm I'm looking through the patterns because that's the only information that we have to go on, you know. Um, again, it's it's like the the Noam Chomsky model of just dealing with the information that you can get, you know. Um, so, otherwise, otherwise, it's speculation. Like you can look at, well, it's not only speculation. I don't want to say that, but uh, um, you're dealing with uh, different reports coming from different areas, um, questioning the legitimacy legitimacy of the test. Or the numbers, right? But there's no, there's no, uh, there's no concise and, and holistic picture. Like it's, it's, it's difficult to determine one way or the other. So it's like, I look at the numbers and try to find the patterns in the numbers from different countries, just just because that's the only information out there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and just to mention again, like this is something I believe we will be unpacking and writing about the rest of our lives and we're going to have people presenting numbers or analyzing different numbers and making case one way or the other so i don't think like you were saying earlier nor will ever really get to the bottom of this you know and um it's a it's a quagmire of confusion and almost unknowable reality at this point and and um 
I, I just hope that that they decide to open back up. And I'm hopeful when I hear like China just stop testing and then there's no more coronavirus because I think that if it's true, so you combine that, that, that power to just turn it off by not testing or changing the media narrative or something with the other part of this, that if this is just a bad flu season, um, that is to say that if we don't start having body bags like really piling up, which that might happen, and then this is something even worse, you know, this is a really bad thing. But if that doesn't happen, then it's like, okay, well, maybe we can kind of take some of the power back where people aren't as worried about it. You know, it's like this is a this is a bad deal. It's a it's, it can it can kill people, especially old people, like the flu and pneumonia do. It's a bad variant of that. But you know. Maybe <laughs> the narrative will turn off in a way to where the, the rest of the world, you know, the majority of people in the world won't be hit so hard with the economic side, which yeah. really is, 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 I mean, you talk about suicides, domestic violence, um, starvation, and I'm particularly afraid of the global south. Someone else mentioned that here before, but you read lockstep and, and <laughs> Not to say that's exactly what's happening here, but they actually do talk about the global south playing a big part of this. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to go into winter in the global south soon. So I'm, I'm hoping that we don't see... Someone just texted me, actually, that uh, my friend, he says, Bolsonaro is basically the military has taken over um, uh, Brazil. I haven't, I haven't gone to the news to check this text, but he says here... Looks like the army just assumed control in Brazil through Bolsonaro, although Bolsonaro was a pawn. Maybe I missed something. So that's my fear, well, that you go to the global south and then this thing goes haywire. You know, um, Even if they turn it off here temporarily for us and we're back to some modicum of stability economically. You know, um, yeah, exactly. Um, and then the story I keep yeah. hearing is that we actually so Western countries have more resources to at least deal with the fallout, whereas some of the other less uh, financially sound places are going to be, you know, they just don't have the infrastructure, equipment or hospitals or physicians to deal with the illness as it starts, you know, rolling in in waves. But the, the the thought that I have is the Swedish control group. If that really is a thing, where the Swiss, uh, oh Swedish, sorry, Ed, are you are you talking about the uh, Swiss propaganda research, the kind of skeptical no, websites, or the? No, uh, I'm talking about. So I think Sweden has taken a pretty laissez-faire right, attitude okay, yeah. toward this, and so, I mean, so if they really don't have any lockdown or not, I mean, Japan's kind of doing the same thing though, so. I just got a I just got a message from friends right now that says that uh, Abe is about to put put the country in lockdown or at least part of it like Tokyo Yokohama the big cities um, so that that's probably coming in the next day or so yeah and the syncopated nature of all this like some countries opening up some countries the curve is flattening others are just getting into the the, the worst wave of this or the government response is coming in to this country months after the first country it's really such a lot to, to be following and to try to like navigate it's really a yeah. whole hell of a lot i mean this is a collective trauma no matter how you square it this is a massive hit to the collective psyche and a, and, a, and trauma is a real uh, um, 
I think, just accurate word to describe what we're going through. You know, locked in your house, don't know what's going on, everything seems strange. You hear this, then you hear the opposite. Can't leave home, can't get food. Um, it's really a, uh, you know, just to just to speak to the em having empathy for that. You know, I, you know, no matter what anybody thinks or believes, it's like I think it's important to empathize with the collective trauma. Mm -hmm. Of it all, and um, I'm just hoping that yeah, you know, the astrology says that in May we get some easier alignments. Okay, so um, that's what I've been. It and no, that matched exactly the Dr. Burks's presentation at the White House press conference last week. They had a chart they presented that showed things dying out into into June, and so I'm thinking that at least for this next few months we're going to have at least some attempt at reopening some things. Now. Once we start getting into late summer and fall, that's a whole different, I'm not even considering that. Uh, but at least in the immediate term, I'm hoping there can be some collective sigh of relief and just like a, ah, oh, that's over, for, that worst of that's over for now kind of feeling, you know. Um, I don't even want to consider that not happening. I'm trying to positive project that into reality because this, what if this, <laughs> I'm not even going to say that. To just say, what if this is like uh, the picnic that we're all going to wish for, like this moment right now, <laughs> in in um, two months? <laughs> yeah, this is the, these are the good old days. Well, guys, I uh, need to go to my place yeah. of business and look in my cooler and see what I have to order tomorrow. Cool. Order me some food. I'm going to well here. I'm going to have to. Some I'll get some here. broccoli and romaine and uh, spinach. I have a slice of pizza for me, Doug. I don't know if they're serving that right now, but I remember those slices at your, uh, at your grocery no, store. No, no slices of pizza. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> most, of the, the, most of the deli stuff is just shut down. Oh, we bought a bunch of, uh, sorry, so my restaurant was like, uh, did a bunch of pizza. <laughs> it was like one of their like things they were known for. <clears throat> so literally, when they closed down, they sold us, like anybody who wants to take stuff out of the walk-in, like, you know, at cost. And they were selling pizza doughs for 50 cents. We got a bunch of those and we've had, we made some great homemade pizzas. Oh. Anyway, uh, sorry. Yeah, everyone, I, I'm, sh I'm sure we've been at this for way too long. So way too long. Everyone too long. have a great day. Five uh, and a half hours. It's kind of the... <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think what I'm going to do, I just want to throw this out here real quick. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to release maybe some of that audio from like the kind of like ritual meeting. Yeah. Uh, I'll release that as like an episode just to kind of like really, again, try and build interest. Um, I'll see if what's there that's interesting to share or, or whatever. Um, but I'm going to label it as such as like, this is probably not for the average listener. This is for someone who really wants to be part of that process. And then uh, everything we've done for the last two hours and 37 minutes will be a different uh, thing. How do you guys feel about that? That's yeah, great. sounds good. Okay, cool. All right, you all have a great night. Great day, whatever it is, whatever it is. Just be yeah, safe you... and know that I love you, and I hope you all do well. 
Yeah, you, you're too good. Peace out. See you again. All right, next.